We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to the special edition of the podcast. Alex McDaniel, managing editor of For the Win, joins me today. But we're not really going to talk about that. We might hit it for a minute. But she was a bulldog for a day yesterday. Ole Miss beats Mississippi State 31-21 in Starkville and because of a love of the Pride of the South, the Ole Miss marching band, Alex was in maroon, was in white, and was ringing a cowbell throughout the uh, the day in Starkville. So I, I know you're tired. We're going to get exactly to why you had quite the the 24 hours. So instead of napping, I appreciate you uh, you giving me a few minutes today. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. This is exciting. I'm glad to talk about it. So let's start here the important thing anybody who's unaware Ole Miss has a dreadfully pathetic band practice field it's right behind the baseball stadium people have seen it without even realizing that's what they are walking on is probably my assumption here I've done a couple podcasts over the years discussing the the poor practice setup for the band it's by far the worst in the conference you obviously have a history with the Ole Miss band and you took it upon yourself to try to raise some money. So for, first off, if anyone would like to give, I will link the description in the podcast below. I will put the link in, but it is umfoundation.givingfuel, like gas, F-U-E-L.com slash band. But then it's very important when you go there to click on uh, band field fund. Otherwise, it will not earmark for that. That's how you get there. That is what you do to get to uh, – that location. So that's how you do that. Again, we'll put some links in. But I, I guess what started this part at the very beginning, and then we'll come all the way through. You obviously knew it was bad. They obviously had started the fun and whatnot. But what got you involved uh, in the beginning for this uh, this effort? Well, you know, I had um, kind of talked about it on and off for years about how terrible the field is, and it is. I mean, it's truly just a field that they have to spray paint, um, as opposed to every other conference which has like legitimate practice fields, what you would see, you know, for the team and what you, like replicating what they would see in a stadium. So I had talked about it on and off over the years. And I guess I went on a Twitter rant about it. Imagine that uh, like back in March or April, mm-hmm. and it was actually the foundation came to me and they said, you know, we're looking for ambassadors for different departments. Cause we're doing, I think it's called giving day, doing our big giving day, which is like a two day period where people can donate. And 
we'd really like your thoughts on how you can help the band. And of course I've got a million um, because I feel like the band is a very neglected um, department at the university in a lot of ways. And so I gave him these ideas and I just kind of threw out for fun. I'm like, I mean, I would even go to the Egg Bowl as a state fan if we could get Mississippi State fans to donate. And the idea wasn't so much, let's get other schools to donate. It was, we can bring attention to it. That was it. It was like that, because it'll be so bizarre. And there are enough Mississippi State fans out there who I'm both friends with and people who probably don't like me who would pay money to see that. So, um, it, you know, those conversations didn't, really go anywhere. So I was like, you know, I'll just do it on my own. I went to Brian Haydad, um, who's, you know, faithful bulldog and um, sports talk co-host. I probably got his title wrong. He does a lot of things and I've known him for a few years. Great guy. I texted him early one morning. I said, what do you think about this idea? Well, we try to get donations from everyone, but the deal is like, we won't put a dollar amount on it. We'll just say if a hundred state fans donate, if we can get to a hundred in two days, I will go to the Egg Bowl as a full fan. And he wasn't really sure about it. He's like, I don't know if they're gonna wanna donate money. I'm like, look, they can donate a dollar. It doesn't matter. I just wanna see if a hundred will do it. That's the whole point. And so he retweeted that. We made a lot of buzz over those two days. And we hit, I think like 138 or something very quickly. So I sold my soul and I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. Like I was willing to do it, but I just, I don't know. It was just one of those things that you say and you're like, oh, okay, I've really got to do this now. So yeah, so that's how it came about. You know, what's great about Hey Dad, I mentioned this to you right before we started the show, is that he's the perfect level of for sure obsessed bulldog. Nobody doubts that at all. His, his loyalty. But he's also like has enough other like parts to him where he gets in, in on the joke. Like it's not like some Brandon Walker psychotic or something where we're like, <laughs> no, like Hey Dad is the perfect person to be completely in on the joke and incredibly annoyed as you're having too much fun with it throughout the night. So it was it was absolutely perfect over social media with Hey Dad's personality. He really was. And he kind of took a little bit of a beating for it in terms of when we were promoting the thing. There were some, I won't mention names, but prominent Mississippi State media people, I'm sure you can guess, <laughs> who yeah. went on Facebook and were like just tearing me apart. Don't give that band any money. They were finding old tweets where I was like having fun with the Elijah Moore and the DK Metcalf stuff. Oh. It was awful. And I felt bad for, I don't feel bad for me. I'm used to getting destroyed. But I felt bad for Brian because he is so great for the fan base and everybody loves him. I'm like, man, I didn't mean to put you in that position. I really didn't. I wasn't trying to like troll or anything. Um, so no, he was an incredible sport about it. And he arranged the entire day yesterday. So he was my chaperone. And through st the state people that you mentioned, through just Ole Miss people, it wasn't a small sum. I mean, you got up into the thousands, up to 25 or so, right? $25,000 in less than two days, which you know, their overall goal for the fund, I believe is 2.1 million. I can't remember how much they've raised. I know they got a big donation of, I believe a hundred thousand, not too long ago. So 25,000 may not seem like a lot, but that was far more than the band had ever raised on giving day. I think they ended up in like the top 10 university departments in terms of fundraising on giving day, which had never happened before. So it, again, it was one of those things like it got enough attention that it did what it needed to do. Yeah, complete success. And, you know, we, we mentioned this. there's so many different reasons why the band needs a, a better field and whatnot. And I look, I know nothing about the band. I have no rhythm. I'm tone deaf. I was kicked <laughs> out of beginner band in sixth grade for not being able to just do this over and over and over again. However, in saying that, I mean, even the standpoint of there are ruts for the lines. So like even just marching in a straight line is potentially a problematic because it's not the lines you have on the practice field, correct? No. And the thing is like, so that field, because it is just a field and it's not taken care of, 
when I said they have to spray paint, I don't just mean the lines on the field. They have to go out there, like graduate assistants will take a drill chart, which a drill chart is just a chart that like everybody has a number. So if I'm not like, you know, flute two or something, I look at the chart, I see where flute two is on the field. I go there to, to hit that mark. What they have to do, and they're not the only band who does this. Some bands do it just to be easier. They have to take spray paint and mark a dot for every spot of every band member on the field because they can't see the lines. They don't know where they're going. So when you transfer that from that to Vaught Hemingway or any other stadium, it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's not even just that it's not clear when it rains because you know, it's behind the baseball field. It's mm-hmm. in a valley. It turns into a mud pit. There are anthills everywhere. It's not even a full length field. Like there are some sets where you just have to accept you're going to run into some trees and pretend you hit your mark when you didn't. That's insane. We wouldn't do that to any other department. You know, we go, and I mean, look, I love my alma mater. I'm not here to trash them at all. But if we're going to go around bragging about our landscaping and how we have one of those beautiful campuses in the country, then make it count where it matters, you know, especially when it's a, it's a classroom. It's essentially a classroom. We wouldn't, if there were classes without heat or without chairs or without basic things, that would be an outrage. And this is the same thing. Obviously, they are have been ecstatic for any help, but I, I think I think you did talk to them recently. I saw on social media and different things. What has been kind of the reaction from the Ole Miss band? I think they've been getting a kick out of it. I did see them um, at the what was the last game I went to? Wow, my brain is not here. Texas A and M, right? Was that the last home game? Uh, Vanderbilt was the last home game. A and M was before the one before that. Okay, yeah. So I didn't Liberty A and M Vanderbilt. Three in a row. Yes. Thank you. So it was that game. They asked me to come talk to the band during, they were doing a rehearsal that day. And so I just went and got up on the tower and, um, you know, I just talked to them and I'm like, I know how hard you work. I I was here too. Some of the best friends I made in my entire life came from this band and it was like a family. I'm like, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm never going to have the kind of money that will make any difference here, but hopefully like through media friends and through things like this, like truly sincere, genuine campaigns hopefully we can get the word out and they were um really excited but i think you know these kids like we weren't we didn't have twitter when i was in bands so they had like a whole social media brand now and stuff that they get really excited about and i think they've just been extraordinarily kind i i went over to see them after halftime last night just to say hi um and they were all just so very nice and so excited and and i think they get it so not to stay on it, but I'm still amazed. I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not amazed. Nothing surprises me anymore. But just <laughs> the fact that a media member or media members tried to trash a band fundraiser that somebody was giving you help for a night to play off a rivalry is is, is amazing. Like it just it, it it speaks volumes in a way that I don't even really want to go down a road to. I mean, it, of it, course. it's pathetic. Well, and the thing that spoke louder than that though is that the famous Maroon band, Mississippi State's band. They were almost immediately behind this. They donated. Yeah. They reached out to me during that fundraiser. They said, hey, if you want to come play with us, we'll get you a piccolo. They were incredible. So that's why like, I don't really, whatever about media members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The school and the people in the community who understood like, this isn't a joke. No one's trying to be mean. And we're not trying to say, please help us. We're trying to draw attention to something. It's like, if we're, if we're going to do this, then I'm willing to do the most uncomfortable thing I can imagine doing just to get a few dollars, hopefully, but mainly to draw attention to the fact that this is a serious need. And I'm going to get into your, your, your complete day and night in a second. I know I'm kind of rambling all over the place, but just in general, I, mean, I was talking to some people that were in the stands in different parts of the, the stadium last night. 
did it seem less hostile than usual between just both fan bases? I mean, did, like, did you notice much? I've talked to a lot of Ole Miss people that were in the Ole Miss sections that said, I mean, not, not like that, hey, it's always, always, you know, vitriolic or anything, but that it was incredibly cordial almost all the way around with most of the people I talked to last night. Yeah, well, I had to sit. I had to sit. You were in the student room. section, so a little different deal. I, I get that. But, okay, okay, okay. But not even. I only. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but if you know, this is actually impressive. I only saw one fist fight <laughs> the whole night, but that's really good, right? And it was like right at the end of the night, and it was just like a drunk Ole Miss fan, and a drunk State fan. And they just got at it, and it was done. It was nothing dramatic. Um, yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time in the junction yesterday. I hit up a few tailgates talked to a lot of Mississippi State fans. It was all very friendly and nothing cruel. I mean, I, I admit, I get a lot of anxiety about this rivalry because, and I don't want to put it all on Mississippi State because there are all Miss fans that are cruel to me too. It, it's just this rivalry in particular, some of the cruelest things that have happened, at least to me and to some of my friends in media on the internet have come from this rivalry. Either you know, I'm secret plant and I'm trying to influence, you know, things or inf- influence coverage toward Ole Miss or Ole Miss fans who think that I'm, I'm not for Ole Miss enough and I might as well just, you know. So yesterday, like, you know, might as well be honest on this podcast. Brian was like, are you all right? I'm like, I just, I'm really anxious because I don't know what people are going to say on Twitter today and I shouldn't care about that. But I, I was just so anxious. And when I got to campus, I was totally fine. Everybody was so nice and helpful and they got a good laugh out of what was happening. So I think I agree with that. I mean, obviously I wasn't everywhere, but when you think about 2018 and how like you couldn't even, oh, you, like it was it was just the height of bitterness in mm-hmm. this, I would say in this era of the rivalry. And so this did feel, and maybe it's just because both teams are good, you know, and there, there was some fun with that maybe, I don't know. But it was nice. I appreciated it. What was your plan going in from the standpoint of cheering? Because there's a certain amount of reacting and cheering that's involuntary for any fan and anything. I mean, you're you're obviously sitting there. You're in the student section. You're obviously trying to pay off this bet in a certain way, even though you're dressed head to toe in state stuff. But, I mean, Ole Miss does something well. And you're going to have, like, some sort of, like, just – involuntary emotional reactions to it to some extent. I mean, what was there a conscious thought to being completely like deadpan? Like how how did we kind of go into this from a, from a cheering standpoint? So the rule was I had to cheer and clang every time Mississippi state scored or, you know, got a first down, anything that was celebrating was not allowed to react to anything Ole Miss did. Okay. I was so good about it, Chase. I was I was so impressed myself, just patting myself on the back. I can't remember which play this was, but at some point in the third quarter, maybe the early fourth quarter, I don't know if they scored. I cannot remember. All I know is this guttural sound came out of me that wasn't a cheer. I don't know what it was. And Brian just looked over like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know where that came from. I just, I think it was all night keeping it in. Finally, I just kind of let it out. And it was, it was a little easier than I expected, honestly, because at that point, you know, having fun with Brian, you're kind of, you're playing a character at that point. And we were having fun and taking a bunch of videos where I looked miserable and, you know, and so it was, it was easier than I thought. I will say they did score when I went to go see the Ole Miss band, when I went to say hi. And so I was with my people again, and then I lost my mind, even though, and I'm sure the crowd was like, she's in Maroon, what is she doing? But I felt safe. (laughs) I was like really happy, but yeah, it wasn't the easiest to get through. 
did people or I mean, I, I know nobody pays attention to other people the way that an individual person believes they're being looked at. But at, at the same time, did people in the student section, did they realize they were you, that they were around a joke? Did they think you were just sitting there as a state fan? I mean, did you did you feel like anybody above or below you was noticing what the hell was going on? No, I mean, especially in the student section, they, they didn't know. I mean, they're, they're drunk not, and in their own business. So like, and they're, it's, we're it's, old now. So it's like, they don't, they're not following me or anything. I did, you know, it was funny going through like the junction in the bookstore and stuff. I got stopped by a lot of people, state and Ole Miss fans um, who either follow Brian or they, they follow me and they would just come up and shake my hand. And it was either like, you know, you're doing a brave thing today, or it was like, you look good in maroon. So um, yeah, but in the student section, it was actually really cool because it, you didn't have this big sign of like, this is all a setup. And it was exactly how it was intended to be, where I had to be a convincing state fan. So. But you did actually run into someone who asked you if you were going to win today, right? You, you, you did run into someone in line that thought you were a legitimate bulldog. Bless her heart. So this was, I guess it was halftime. I went to get a beer and I'm in the beer line, this sweet little girl, I shouldn't call it, she's a woman, I'm sorry, she's just, she's sweet, and so, like, I'm a mom, and I think I have this maternal instinct, she is a woman, um, she turns around, and she's like, this is my senior year, do you think State's gonna win? I really hope they win, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if they're gonna win, and I so I didn't know what to say because I felt like a fraud. And I'm like, she's opening up to me because she trusts that I'm on her team. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe girl, <laughs> what's going to happen. But she was precious. I felt terrible. I felt like such a liar after that. It was the only time that I really felt like, oh no, you're tricking people. This isn't fun. You had your go to hell old Miss sticker. You had, uh, I believe, our pen. You had some different things. How did you were, were, did someone dress you or did you get to actually choose your, your attire for this, this, this event? I got to choose my own as long as I stuck with the colors with the deal that Brian and whomever he recruited could give me stickers and stuff. Initially I was going to wear like a cute dress and boots and stuff. And then as the week went on and I knew the rain was coming, I was like, I'm making this more functional. So I just wore like a maroon fleece vest with a white sweater and you know, boots and pants. It wasn't like a, a prissy outfit or anything. Um, and I was worried because when I bought the vest, it occurred to me, I had never bought intentionally bought a maroon thing before. So I'm looking at the store. I'm like, I don't know if that's maroon or if it's just sort of red purple. I don't know what I'm looking at. And I was so worried I'd get called out on it, but Brian was like, this is cool. This is fine. And then we went to one tailgate and they had to go to hell miss pin that I had to wear. And then we went to my other friend's tailgate. So the guys um, who had the exclusive tailgating setup contract in Starkville, Southern Tradition Tailgating, they've been at Ole Miss for 12 years now. They've been our guys since 2009. So mm -hmm. they're like friends of the family. They're both state guys, but I went to their tailgate and they had like a beat Ole Miss thing and whatever. So I just kind of let people, if they had something for me, yeah, I'll put it on, I'll wear it. For today only, I will do it, so. When did you find out it was student section and not just somewhere with all the, the, the other older people? Like right before the game, because, well, the, the deal was, it wasn't the deal, but like Brian tried really hard to get us all, all access passes because he wanted me to like be able to see different parts of the stadium. It was great. Um, but at, it, we ended up just getting regular press pass, press passes. So we were just trying to get somewhere in seats that weren't taken oh, okay. obviously the easiest place to do that is in the student section so I didn't really have a lot of time to protest it I just had to go along with it so did you actually play with the maroon band 
I did. I went over in the second quarter. They sent me their fight song a few days before and I had my flute with me and I've played on and off over the years, but I haven't played consistently in 10 years since I got out of grad school. Hold on. You brought your own instrument? Well, I had my flute to practice on. They oh, sorry. Okay. I got yeah. Because the flute's really cumbersome for marching. So they brought a piccolo for me to play. So I could just have a little thing. So I, I memorized it and I practiced it. And it was all, of course, it's contingent on, um, you know, state has to score for them to play the fight song. So I only had this one quarter and I'm like, if they don't do something, I won't get to play, but I got to play. Um, and it was great. They were, they were really lovely and gracious and just great. And they were like, well, we support the cause. I mean, that's the thing about band people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's always a tradition, even in high school, after halftime, the band captains or the drum majors or whomever, they will go over to the other side's band and meet them and like say hi. It's tradition, it always happens. So bands always kind of transcend this idea of rivalry. Like, yeah, they're still part of the school. We're still part of it all, but you go through an experience that's very unique and it doesn't matter who it is. If it's the LSU band, if it's State's band, like band people are band people. And I love that about that community. So did it take 20 minutes or did it take four hours to learn their fight song? What kind of time or commitment are we talking about for this? Well, it's most fight songs are pretty straightforward and they all kind of sound the same. They're basically variations on, you know, a few different types of fight songs. So if you can just, I listened to it a few times. That was the main thing. I had to listen to it and get in my brain and remember it. And then I played through it a few times. And after that, I could just, I could go with it. I could pick out the notes and that's just how it goes in fight songs though. It's pretty easy. Um, but there was this, there's this run at the end, these like really fast notes and I'm out of practice. And I really worked that run for like a solid hour the night before the game. And then finally I was like, I've done what I can do. <laughs> like if I mess this up, it'll be fine. I've done my best. Do you know the lyrics? No. Okay. Uh-oh. I was going to make you say them. So I'm okay. If you, if you, oh, yeah, so. I didn't have to learn that. All I had to know was the piccolo part. And that's what I learned. So at what point, I mean, because I, I was doing a podcast this morning with Brian Rippey and he asked me, he said, what point last night did you feel like Ole Miss kind of had it in hand? I said, well, I mean, they were very fortunate to be ahead at halftime. They come out, they get the stop to start the third quarter, drive down and, and score. I would assume just by kind of following your social media that that was the point too, where it looked like state kind of exhaled a little bit and they were like, ah, hell, this is probably not going to go well. And it was also sort of where you loosened up. You kind of went more into character and were uh, visually <laughs> very pleased with yourself from the point that Ole Miss went up 17 to six, right? I was. I, I was such a brat on social media. Well, mainly because Brian, he's just so fun to mess with. And he would have done the same thing to me. And so, yeah, it was just, it was funny. And like, I'm very careful with any Ole Miss games. Like, I'm, you know, I tweet a lot and I'll do like gifts and stuff. I'm very careful not to predict them. And I'm careful not to call it for it's over. I'm the queen of saying, if you think it's over with two minutes left, I don't care what the score is, then you, you're not an Ole Miss fan. You don't mm-hmm. know. I'm scarred forever. <laughs> and so I am not the person who's like, oh, it's in the bag. We've got this. But I don't know. I think when we went up 17, I just kind of knew. And I got a little ridiculous on my Insta stories. And I was, it was just me with like my cowbell. And I'm like, what's going to happen, guys? <laughs> I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> and Brian was so mad. But we had fun. It was good. What was our strategy for drinking versus needing to stay modicums of sober where, where, where were we on that for the day 
I mean, I didn't get to eat a lot yesterday. So the, the tailgates I went to were very gracious and they're like, Alex, here's some bourbon. We know you like it, but it's different when it's not your tailgate and you can't control your own, you know, like mm -hmm. I have a, I have a method of getting through the day. So you don't get drunk. You just you sip some cocktails and you have fun. And then you can be clear headed when you go to the game or whatever. You helped um, out the, the Michigan politician with that a few weeks ago. I did. I told yeah. her like, you gotta, you gotta pace yourself. You're gonna make it. But I, I, I'm out of my element when I'm somewhere else and I don't have my own setup. So I was trying to be very nice. These people who were offering me bourbon, I would take a few sips. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, I gotta, I gotta put that back. I had stored a few minis in my purse for emergencies. But, you know, it was just mainly just some sips here and there throughout the day because I knew I wasn't going to have time to eat. I was not about to wreck this entire thing. And I'm, a, I mean, I'm five, nothing. Like I talk a big game, but I'm a lightweight. Like <laughs> I can have one strong cocktail and then I got to go, you know, I got to drink some water. So I'm very careful about that. And I never, especially like knowing I was going to play with her band and everything I wanted to be as appropriate as possible. So after I got done with the band though, that's when I got in the beer line. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can enjoy this now and we'll be cool. How do you rate their uh, their don't stop believing going into the fourth quarter or something? Every school has tried to find that thing going into the fourth quarter. Ole Miss has kind of struggled with it. They seem to have some things that they they like about their their pregame and their fourth quarter deal. But it was it was such a weird deal last night because I mean, frankly, I mean, State's behind. They don't think they're winning the game. But I, I do give them credit at times that that comes off pretty cool. So I mean, where you are, that that had to be one of the one of the more things you at least could appreciate from your your evening as a, as, as a State fan. Absolutely, I did. And I took some video of it because it was really, I mean, everybody loves that song. Yeah. And I know you get dunked on about it a lot, but I actually think it's a really cool tradition. And I know some of their fans don't like it. I get that. Everybody likes what they like and everybody has their own idea of what they want games to be. But yeah, that was one of the highlights of the night because everyone was just really into it. And I loved the fact that even though they were down, that people had energy and they were spirited. And I don't know if I would have seen that at our school, to be honest, like maybe among the adults, but I don't know if the student section would have had that much energy if they were down like that going into the fourth. So I, you know, I thought it was really cool. I mean, being in the band, you know, our thing was always playing I Saw the Light at the beginning mm -hmm. of the fourth. And when I was in the band, those are years that you really needed some encouragement in the fourth quarter because you were not going to win and so that was like your last hope was like I saw the light please let's win something so you know I think every school has their own thing but it's just a, I just think it's cool I like it did you break character as soon as the clock hits zero I mean like take me through walking out of this place because you've got all the state people that are obviously are some level of pissed off you're still in maroon I mean are we are, are, are we doing the, the, the hottie toddy and the fight song at the end when they're doing the whole deal? Like, what, what, what are we doing as soon as this game is ending? I broke character immediately, stood on my seat. Brian came back me up because he was so mad. And I did the hottie toddy. In the student section. Yes. Okay. And the whole, like, the, we just beat the hell out of you. I mean, they just won 10 games. I had been a great sport the entire game. I wasn't mean. I wasn't obnoxious. I didn't even acknowledge when they scored. Uh -huh. I was allowed to have one thing and I did my, I served my duty. That was mine. That was for me. <laughs> so I did it. Uh, any tailgating was over or did you go straight to the car and then have that, that, that experience once we're done? Well, straight to the car. So Brian drove and I didn't realize, cause I never, I don't get credentialed purposely for Ole Miss games. I don't cover Ole Miss. So I've never been credentialed for an egg bowl. I didn't realize that their media lot wasn't a parking lot that it was Correct. just a field. 
So his car kind of got stuck in the mud and we, <laughs> it was awful. We had to like, I had to like drive and he was pushing from behind. It was a whole spectacle. And in my mind, I was like, this is the worst thing that'll happen. <laughs> and I was wrong. So yeah, yeah, but I got so, right yeah, so we'll get there now, I guess. Um, <laughs> you get to your car, you're headed back to Birmingham, I guess. And I see it on social media. We're still online when you're telling people you've, you've been stranded at this point in another SEC town that you're not overly fond of. And like, were you like, did, did it happen all at once? I mean, you, you got a flat tire, but the thing that was stuck into your um, tire was essentially a weapon more than more than a nail or a screw. So what happened and when did you realize it? I have no idea what happened. My best guess is, you know, like going through Tuscaloosa, they've been doing a lot of construction there for years at this point. Um, and I was just driving, like, luckily I got through all those other towns like Reform and Gordo and everything else. I hit Tuscaloosa and that's usually the point in my drive where I'm like, all right, I'm almost home, like 45 minutes away, gonna be in my bed. I was feeling great. <laughs> I, was like, I just wanna go to bed. And suddenly my car light came on and said, um, my rear tire was low. And I was like, well, you know, it's cold. And that happens sometimes when it's cold, it'll show that, you know, your tire pressure is lower than usual. So I, luckily I moved over to the gauge to see what the pressure was. And it was like, it's supposed to be at like 34. It was 21 and dropping. And I'm like, because I didn't feel a pop. It wasn't like a blowout. It just, I was driving and then it told me to. So luckily took the first exit, ended up at a Chevron station. This was like midnight, I guess, somewhere around there. Um, and I'm like, what do I do now? And I certainly, like I can change a tire, but it's midnight and I'm by myself. The last thing I wanted to do was get out of that car. No matter where I was, Tuscaloosa is a safe place, don't get me wrong, but still, it, I was worried. So I <laughs> texted my friend, Hunter Johnson. He's, a, well, he was on Twitter as Hunter Johnson, but then he got in trouble for impersonating. <laughs> another Hunter Johnson and he got his account suspended most people who don't know Hunter know him as like a total jerk on Twitter yeah. his shtick is to be a jackass on Twitter that's, that's the... yeah that's his whole thing and he's like a, a witty jackass but only in a lovable way if you're laughing at the team he's laughing at if he's coming mm -hmm. for you you just hate him and that's how we met actually is it was 2014 and it was the week of the Alabama Ole Miss game and I forget what he said. It was just some trash talk about all this. And he and I got into it on Twitter. I didn't even know him. But over the years, I got to know him. He's a sweetheart. I texted him. I was like, hey, uh, sorry about this. <laughs> but do you know anyone I could call? Or, you know, I don't want to bother you, whatever. And he was like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So we call AAA. And we're sitting in the car. And, like, so much time goes by. Two hours go by. And during that time, what was very funny is Hunter was very close to Cecil Hurt. He's a longtime columnist and editor at the Tuscaloosa News. He passed away this past week. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very close. They worked together. He was there in the hospital the day before he died. And so Hunter was hurting, you know, and, um, and I felt even worse. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I know it's been such a hard week. And he just started laughing. And he's like, Cecil would have loved this. <laughs> like, he's like, just think about it. If this would happen, you would have called me or him. Like, yeah, you're right. And it was just like this really lovely, even though it was so frustrating and I wanted to go home. Um, just like, I don't know, here's my thing. And I don't want to get too off topic here, but no, go ahead. yesterday was the first Thanksgiving that I've ever spent away from any of my family. 
So it was the first Thanksgiving without my son, first one where I didn't see my mom or my sister. I didn't think that was gonna bother me until I got to campus and I see all these Thanksgiving meals and all these families together. And it really weighed on me. And even though I knew like, you know, I wasn't just at a game to be at a game. I knew we had planned this, my family knew, no one was upset with me. Um, I just felt a little lonely, I guess. And what's funny is when I left Starkville, like on my way, I was thinking to myself, like, how lucky am I that I have people like Brian, that I have people like the friends I had in Starkville that, sure. you know, loved me and, and brought me into their thing and that we can have fun with this. And then I thought the same thing in Tuscaloosa. I was like, how lucky am I that, you know, there's the family you're born with and the family you choose. And it's amazing to me to live a life where I can break down somewhere and be able to have a person who will come calling, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I, so I focused more on like being thankful for that than sad. I couldn't be with my family. And I don't know. I mean, I don't try to always Pollyanna everything up, but like in that moment, I was, I had every right to be very frustrated. And by the way, AAA never came. So I had to stay at Hunter's house. And finally, I got back to Birmingham a few hours ago, actually. Um, but I was just so overwhelmed, I think, by how kind people were on all sides and just getting to spend a day with, um, with friends and a lot of them that I met on Twitter, that I met online, you know? Yeah, you know, Thanksgiving, I mean, we kind of have a shtick on our podcast about how it's an incredibly overrated holiday, but it's a complicated holiday even more than it's overrated or underrated or anything else. Because, yeah, if, you have, if you're surrounded by all your family, there's so many positives with that and whatever. But that's one of those deals where I don't know that it's so hard to appreciate that in the moment, where Thanksgiving becomes the ultimate holiday of loss, of realizing who's gone, who's not there, that there's the seat at the table that's not occupied. For whatever reason, even more so than Christmas to me, because of the, the less stuff around it, Thanksgiving becomes that one that can get kind of freaking depressing on you in a hurry if you're not careful. It, it, it's hard to maximize the joy, but it's pretty easy to go low with Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I didn't expect that. I should have. Usually I'm, I try to be you know, very honest and very vulnerable um, because I think it's important for people to be vulnerable about things that we struggle with. I just didn't expect it and it hit me out of nowhere. And, but like, I just, I couldn't imagine, it's weird to say this out loud because obviously like yesterday was a huge day for Ole Miss and that's the program I've loved most of my life. And it's easy to say, oh sure, I guess the better situation would have been to be there as an Ole Miss fan. I don't know. I think given the circumstances and given how many people put the rivalry aside just to help this band and just to help me have a day in Starkville. Like I, I should mention to you, they made me a custom cowbell yeah. that had Ted Lasso on it. And I mean, that's, that's just goodness. That's just good people. And it was just a great reminder of how this is supposed to be fun. At the end of the day, it's sports, it's football. It's fun to get caught up in the moment but I'm never going to be one for like true trash talking or anything that's cruel to another human being because of the team they like or don't like. And yesterday just made me feel really warm and fuzzy about all of that. It was like, Hey, you know, I mean, at, at my core, I love Mississippi. I just do. I love it so much. And um, it just really felt like I was home yesterday in a way, even though it wasn't my real home. <laughs> it was like, I just, I felt surrounded by people who knew what home was. You, you mentioned it in passing. Did, did, did you know Cecil personally? 
Uh, we knew each, I mean, we saw each other at media things, but we were mainly Twitter friends and he would always DM me jokes he couldn't say in public or he would DM me about the egg bowl. Like it was hilarious. He was the funniest guy. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. I guess it was in Aaron's column about him was he would test out the tweets in the room before he would tweet them. Like it would just need to like get a little bit of a, a little bit of a straw poll, a little case study, and then we'll put them out to the masses. There's there's something about that that I understand that really cracks me up. It was incredible. I mean, he was just like a comedy writer. He would respond to me. It was just kind of our thing over the years. Like I would say something, he would respond with some really funny, usually inappropriate joke. I would say Cecil in all caps. And then he would DM me like the three alternatives he was debating on using. <laughs> and he's oh, like, good. I was going to go with this or this, this. And so, and he always like, he, he just loved football in general. And he would always, we would talk about the egg bowl. We'd talk about Arkansas. He was, he just treated everybody so well and so equally. And I said it on Twitter the other night, you know, sports, especially college sports, especially in the SEC, especially in Alabama is this like impenetrable thing sometimes where you feel like if you weren't grinding it out on a high school beat for years, you have no right to be here. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that a lot years ago when I was trying to tell these different types of stories. I wanted to tell feature stories and quirky things and get into the mindsets of these fans and why they do what they do for the teams they love. And there was a lot of resistance to that. A lot of people didn't want me to have the right to write those stories. And like, you, you've been in news, you haven't you haven't covered an Alabama game. Why should you get to write about their fans? Because I can, I don't know what to tell you. Like I know how to, it's storytelling. And so there's a lot of gatekeeping here. And Cecil, from the moment we met, and I can't, it was probably some media days or who knows, he always treated me like I was an equal to him. And I couldn't even believe he knew who I was. Mm -hmm. Like every time he would talk to me before we became like Twitter friends, like, how do you remember who I am? And he just, he never treated anybody like they didn't matter he never treated anybody like they didn't have the right to be in the same room as him and it's an incredible thing because he had a, an incredible career but the fact that the first thing everybody said about him was that he was endlessly kind that's what we all want we work so hard for our jobs and I know we've got families we're trying to support them we have our own ambitions but I, it occurred to me and I think I've always felt this way but it really hit me last week when I die I don't want people to talk about my work Mm -hmm. I want someone to feel like I touched their lives somehow. And it really just kind of, I think it made a lot of us sort of reevaluate, like he focused just on being kind to people and being, you know, in parentheses, also really good at his job. And also being thoughtful inside his work, because one of his legacies is that in a world now, especially for columnists like he was, it's so much shock jock. And let me make sure, let me say immediately, this guy should be fired and this should happen. And let me be the loudest person in the room. But he saved those for when it really mattered. A lot of times he wouldn't say much at all because that magnified things when he did say something. He was so, he was so measured in the appropriate way that I think for, I mean, I would say journalists or writers, but really just life in general in 2021, like just speaking and listening there's a there's a lot to learn from him on the way he went through his his work and knowing when to when to be loud and when to to not be and when to tell what story it was, it was pretty remarkable yeah and I think especially you know obviously he's an old school he was an old school newspaper guy and so it's easier to be that way in that because you you do have like anything you say won't be out until the next day so it's not like immediately getting your takes off it's a very hard thing to do in today's day and age and especially it's like you said, we, we know what sells in this business. We do. And it's the quick takes, it's the pandering. It's like, 
if I can give something this section the audience wants to hear, or if they don't want to hear it and they get so mad that they read it, it's it's terrible. And I know it's awful, and I think the majority of us try to avoid that. Um, but how easy is it to be that way when you're an Alabama writer? Especially, you could just say stuff every day, and people are going, "Oh my God," you know, because people are ravenous for this content. He never felt pressured to be that guy, and he never worried about what that meant for his career. He never worried about what that meant for like loyalty because people valued him and they're like well i'm not going to believe that guy until cecil says it like when he says it it's true i was going to ask you toward the end even before we got in this conversation about for the win again you're managing editor there now and i i know you like both things i mean you you love the internet for the sports and the quirks and the weirdness and the pop culture and that's kind of what you get to do you get to combine all those things in, in your current job but you you know you you like storytelling you like the long form stuff too what 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 has it been like um at least hitting one of your you know kind of your internet passions if you will with this position maybe more than some other things you've done what's it what's it been like to kind of be able to to have some creativity with uh with, with this part of the medium i love it um i think you know, I think I've always been doing for the win content just at different mm-hmm. organizations. I said the same thing when I was working at SB Nation. I think I've always kind of been doing that to try to work at a site like this. Um, you know, I just, I firmly believe that you can be a serious person and a serious storyteller and tell meaningful stories and compelling stories. And you can also tell really funny stories like DMing Lane about his Taylor Swift thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, just, I'm gonna pop that up on the site because it's interesting. I don't think it makes our staff or me any less of a, any less capable of serious storytelling. And we, we do incorporate that into our site, but you know, um, what was it that happened last week? See, my mind is just drawing a blank. Um, oh, it was the Rittenhouse verdict. Sure. So obviously we're not touching that. We, we, you know, we had nothing to do with it. And so we all kind of paused a little bit and we just wanted to recollect. So we didn't want to throw out like listicles when obviously everybody on the internet is talking about this one thing. And it's really easy in those moments to feel like, man, if I can't, if this site isn't even capable of commenting on something serious, do we even matter? But I was looking, I was watching our live stats at the time and we weren't publishing anything. All of a sudden this old evergreen content started getting hits on Google. It was like 43 of the funniest tweets ever written and 10 great sports skits that'll make you laugh. It was things that make people happy that yeah. suddenly just started. And it, you know, it just, it struck me. And I'm like, I would much rather do this. Like there was a time I wanted to be a serious news reporter and I did serious news stories for a while. I just, I think there are a lot of people who can do that. And I didn't feel like I brought anything special to that. I don't think my abilities were any better than anybody else's. I just think like, I'm so passionate about trying to keep things light when things are so heavy that I'm very proud of that. If we can be a source of where people just need to like get off, you know, get off Twitter and go look at something funny and just laugh for the sake of laughing. I love that. I'm proud of that. I got something I haven't even announced yet that I was going to actually try to get you back on here in a couple months to talk Ted Lasso at a, at a larger length. But is that kind of in relation to one of the reasons you have a bit of an obsession with it is that I feel like it was it would be it would be incredible at all times. But out of the pandemic, at a time when things have softened to a touch, to a time when people need. I don't want to say wholesome content, but the ability to laugh and feel and do some things without maybe the sharpness that we've come to with so many different media things. 
that I do feel like while it would have worked anytime, I feel like Ted Lasso came out at the perfect time in, in, in a lot of ways at the same thing. And while it's a comedy or it's a drama, depending on the season or however you want to classify it, things like what you're talking about, where you find things to make people laugh and think and be a little less serious. Sometimes that sort of centers us into the ability to, to, to handle the other moments. And, and we can, we, we can find some escapism in those type of things. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I was a Lasso fan from the first episode premiering because I love Jason Sudeikis. So I honestly, I didn't think the show would do well because I was like, it's based on those dumb NBC commercials. And I laughed at those, but I didn't think they were going to make a series out of it. And I just quickly became obsessed. And that's when I kind of started tweeting like, guys, please watch this show. And I think, yeah, we all had fatigue of everything. We were, you know, politically divided. We had been in quarantine like everybody's lives have been turned upside down there was so much anxiety and depression and stress just collectively weighing on us also individually um and I think the first season of Lasso it wasn't just that it was lighthearted, which it is and I think the writing's brilliant for me it just it reminded me people can still be kind yeah because if people are writing about kind people then that means they know kind people or they are kind people and people will still do the right thing. We just hadn't seen a lot of examples of that, I think recently, and it's easy to get discouraged. And I know like a lot of people didn't like season two because it dove into like serious mental health issues. And even though I loved that, um, people I think who latched onto it for that reason in season one were like, no, 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 go back to where I just feel good after every episode. I don't want to be sad about this. And I understand that, you know, it's, it's different things for different people. But, you know, I, I probably maybe watched like three TV shows total between 2009 and 2019. Truly, I just did not watch TV. I would watch sports and I would watch movies, had no use for it, even though I watched a lot when I was younger. And then quarantine happened. And I started binging things just nonstop because I needed something to kind of keep me sane. So I think it was easier for me to get obsessed that way because I'm not a person who's like, oh, I've, I've never seen Lost. I've never seen any of the great shows that I know I need to. Um, I just really loved that. And it gave me a lot of hope personally in a dark time. And I, I liked having something that was just pure and wholesome and good. And, and, and what's so great about it to me from a writing standpoint is it's not that it's the first season's a comedy and the second season's a drama. It's that there was very kind wholesome drama inside the comedy and then in season two you had the comedy inside the drama it was able to do to do both those things at the same time and uh just again i don't want to get down a ted lasso rabbit hole i'll you longer than i than i necessarily meant to but what, what's going to be the tone of season three what are you expecting what, what's the overall mood do you feel like of this this season well you know it's supposed to be the last season right unless something changes. And I just, I don't know, this is going to be a big season for resolution. You have to find out what happens with Nate. I don't believe he's just going to stay evil to the end, but I don't know the moment that changes him. Um, I think Ted will go back to America because he, the, the biggest tension for me in season two is he feels guilty about being away from his son. He does. He does. And you can tell in every episode he talks about buying him guilt presents. He has the pictures like there's not a happily ever after that ends with Ted being in London and his kid being in America, you know? And so who was I talking to the other day? Somebody predicted the last episode, like the series finale would be Roy and Keeley getting married. And then you look in the pews and like Ted's there with his son and his ex-wife. I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't, I, I don't feel like he can get back with the ex-wife though, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I guess anything could happen, but I think 
it, they need to have more things on TV where it can be okay for something to end without it being nasty. That's my whole thing. And, or without it being like, oh, but can't you get back together since you don't hate each other? We need to see more couples who are like amicable and they want to co-parent. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to be together. So I don't know. I just think like Ted's not a forever guy. So they're going to have to tie up a lot of these things. And, you know, my own, I just, I would like to see some flashback scenes of him coaching college football. <laughs> I would like to see that at least once so but I don't know we'll see trying to not completely spoil it for anybody they have to make them good right because if there's going to be any kind of soccer storyline at all they can't do relegation yeah it has to be good correct yeah and especially with like the premier league marketing deal they just did you read about this yeah I saw this Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like yeah they have to yeah they have to end winning the whole thing because I can't see it, even though like we know it's not about wins and losses. I cannot see the show ending. It feels like it's going to have like a Leicester City storyline where you have like the yeah, it's it's that whole the deal. Other than obviously with the other team that we're not overly mentioning at the moment. But yes. yeah, yeah. That, so. <laughs> okay. good enough. We'll, we'll, we'll do that later. That was enough Ted Lasso for uh, today. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Hope you get some rest. Hope you get some sleep. Uh, congratulations on fulfilling your end of the bed and for uh, raising a lot of money for a good cause. Hopefully some people contributed to that as well. Again, as I started the show, we'll put that down in the description. We'll do a lot of things to try to uh, get that link out. Again, though, remember, when you go to the page, you have to go down to Banfield Fund. Otherwise, it goes to a general fund, and I have no idea where that money goes. So make sure – not in a bad way. I just have no idea. So make sure it goes to Banfield Fund. But anyway, uh, Alex, as always, I appreciate it. Get some rest, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Chase. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.